I was gonna, uh, I was gonna start by apologizing because I'm not a real preacher, right? But then I started thinking about it. I was like, it's actually Derek and Rob's fault that I'm here. So if you got a problem with anything, you can, uh, you can go to those guys. So like Derek said, I've gotten to know uh, them over the last uh, year or so and been very encouraged uh, by them. Shout out to the All Pro Deads in the, in the building also. Um, but in, in just enjoy my time with them and uh, their heart and learn a lot about you guys and your church. And uh, just I'm, I'm excited to be here tonight. So we're uh, going to get with it. First thing, I actually like um, actually like Rob and Derek more than my pastor. Some of you guys probably met my pastor a couple weeks ago. Um, Rashawn Frost, he was here, and uh, we go over to the bridge with Rashawn, but when uh, Derek asked me to speak, the way he did it was, he said, hey, here are some dates, and you can pick a date, and you can come speak, right? So what my pastor did to me over the summer, back in May, was um, he said, Thomas, you're on the preaching calendar, and everything's already set. I was like, okay, that's cool. So um, we were going through the Ten Commandments, and I went and I looked at what I was supposed to be preaching on, right? And I pulled it up. My pastor puts me down to preach a whole sermon on four words. Do not commit adultery, right? So that's what I had to preach on this summer. So these guys, man, they let me pick, right? If I didn't like the scripture, I could be like, no, nah, I don't want that Sunday, Saturday. No, I'm just kidding, just kidding. I like all scripture. But, um, but I'm excited to be here and I'm excited about being in Matthew 15. That's where we're going to be today. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew 15. While you're turning there, we're going to look at traditions tonight. Some are biblical, some are not biblical, but if we're honest, we all have traditions. And I think, don't get mad at me when I say this, but most traditions are pretty dumb if you think about it, right? They really don't make much sense. But they've touched that person's heart in a way that has become a tradition and it's been something that it's become something that they hold tightly to and continue continue to do over and over and over again. So the first thing when I think about traditions, I think holiday traditions. So I don't know if any of you guys have any holiday traditions, but for my family, um, day after Thanksgiving through Christmas Eve, we basically got Elf, Home Alone, Home Alone 2, and Jingle All the Way on repeat, right? And you might be thinking, those are the dumbest Christmas movies ever. That's fine. That's not your tradition, okay? This is my tradition, so I can have my own tradition. But um, we all have traditions. Thanksgiving. How many uh, arguments get, get started on Thanksgiving Day because that one aunt and uncle forgot the mashed potatoes or forgot that one dish that we have to have every single Thanksgiving, right? We all have traditions. So I'm going to share with you guys uh, two of my personal traditions tonight. And um, you're probably going to think, wow, this guys he's a little different. That's fine. They're my traditions, and I love them, so I don't care what you think about me, okay? So the first one is this, brown sugar cinnamon Pop-Tarts. If you eat Pop-Tarts that are not in a toaster, it is disgusting, okay? I'm sorry, but disgusting. You might as well cut the Pop-Tart box in a little square, a rectangle like the Pop-Tarts and just eat the box, right? Because there's no flavor in it. But... If you put brown sugar cinnamon Pop-Tarts in a toaster, for me, my setting at the house is setting number two. Actually, it's like a hair under setting number two. Pop those things down. When they pop out, the Pop-Tart will melt in your mouth, right? It will melt in your mouth. If you get above the two, it burns the sides. No bueno there. You don't want the sides burn. If you don't get it enough, the inside's still cold. No good there either, right? 
But two brown sugar cinnamon Pop-Tarts on the perfect setting. Amazing. I've been eating it every day. When I was in school, from kindergarten on, I ate it every day. I still eat it to this day. Two brown sugar cinnamon Pop-Tarts, right? That's one of my traditions. I love it. I eat them every day. I will never, till the day I die, eat a Pop-Tart that's not in the toaster, right? Another one of my traditions. This is a uh, sports-related tradition. And there are like TV series about sports tradition, traditions, right? The whole series about them. I was watching uh, Eli Manning has uh, Eli's Places on ESPN+. Plus. Hilarious. He just goes around and watches, talks to these different people at these different schools, learns about these traditions. But uh, one of my traditions at sporting events is the wave. The wave. Y'all know what the wave is, right? Everybody, whoo. I don't do the wave ever. I just did it. But no, not in a game. I don't ever do the wave. Here's why I don't ever do the wave. When I was a little kid, I went to a Carolina Panthers game with my dad, and we're at the game. The wave starts, right? And I'm seeing it. It's coming towards me. And right before it gets there, my dad bumps me. My dad's like, hey, I don't do the wave. I'm like, what? <laughs> so I didn't do the wave. Why did I not do the wave? There is no reason. Like, there's nothing wrong with the wave. My dad just didn't do the wave, so I just didn't do the wave. And now every time I go to a game and the wave start, I don't do the wave. But I have no reason. I love the wave, right? It looks cool. One time I was at a game, I don't remember where it was, but the bottom bowl started going like this with the wave, and then the top bowl started going this. It was like the craziest thing I've ever seen. But I don't do the wave. That's one of my traditions, right? They're crazy. There's other traditions, too. More seriously, you know, some people would think that Hope Church is not a real church because you meet on Saturday nights, not Sundays, right? It's a tradition. Other, other um, traditions, if you don't preach in a, in a suit and a tie, right, you're not a real pastor. I'm not a real pastor anyway, but it has nothing to do with a suit and tie, okay? <laughs> I grew up in a very traditional church, and um, for, for our church, when we took communion, there were all these, like, things with communion that I didn't realize until I got to college didn't serve any purpose. <laughs> but there were these traditions that I was like, oh, you got to sit quietly and, and make sure you don't do anything you're not supposed to. And then I get older, and I read Scripture for myself, and I'm like, half that stuff really didn't matter, right? But we hold on to these traditions. So that's what we're going to look at tonight. Matthew 15, verses 1 through 20. And here's how we're going to break it down. The first part of this passage, Jesus is interacting with the Pharisees. So that's kind of the first half. And then the second half, we transition. And Jesus, after uh, verse 10, he kind of turns his attention to the disciples and to his followers. So that's kind of what we're going to look at tonight. So let's look at Jesus' interaction with the Pharisees. Chapter 15, 1 through 9. Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Jesus replied, And why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, Honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father and mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father and mother is devoted to God, they are not to honor their father and mother with it. Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. So let's look at verse 1. Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, Why is that significant? 
Because we see at the end of Matthew 14, in verse 34, that Jesus and the disciples had just arrived from Gisenaret. And if you look it up, Gisenaret is about 80 miles from Jerusalem. Okay, so you've got the, the Pharisees have just traveled 80 miles. Why? They literally, literally traveled 80 miles, no cars back then, to question the Son of God about Scripture. <laughs> That doesn't make any sense, right? They go 80 miles to question Jesus about something that his father spoke into bees, right? So Jesus didn't like the Pharisees. And I was looking at one of my uh, Bible commentaries, and the heading actually said, we see the Lord in conflict with his enemies. When he's talking about the Pharisees, right? So it's called the Pharisees, Jesus' enemies. And ultimately, I think they did that because of their religious pride, right? Their religious pride. And in this verse, their tradition. So the Bible's clear God hates pride. He hates pride. And the fact the Pharisees were not only prideful, but they were wrong in their interpretation of Scripture. That's one of the things I think that frustrated Jesus the most throughout the New Testament. So it'd be like me walking up to Tiger Woods and being like, hey, um, Tiger's on the, on the driving range. And I'm like, you know what, uh, Tiger, I, I finished my PGA, uh, PGA school. And uh, Tiger, every night, I study golf, I watch golf, I listen to podcasts about golf. Um, Tiger, I just want you to know that your swing is not right. It's, you don't, you're doing it wrong, right? I would never do that. But yeah, that's what the Pharisees did to Jesus, the Son of God. They walked up and they're basically like, your disciples are wrong. And so, once again, don't forget, 80 miles, they went to question Jesus. And what they, they say, which is crazy in itself, they didn't even say your disciples break God's law. They said, your, your disciples are breaking the tradition of the elders. So verse 2, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. So my first point is this. We begin living out our man-made religious traditions when we don't test them according to Scripture. If we assume something is true because it sounds morally right or wholesome, but there's no Scripture to back it up, it's not biblical truth. And a lot of times we hear good things, we hear these good sayings, and we think they're biblical, but they're not all, all, all the time biblical. So I was looking at an um, article from Lifeway Research. They listed a whole bunch of things that Christians, a lot of Christians think are true, but are actually not true. So I grabbed uh, four of them. So you may already know these things are not true, but research shows there's a lot of people who are believers that, that think they are. The first one was, it was an apple in the Garden of, of Eden. Genesis 3.6 says, it describes Eve eating fruit, but not an apple, right? So there was no apple. We don't know there was an apple in the Garden of Eden, just fruit. Second one, three wise men came to visit Jesus. Scripture, Matthew 2, 1 through 12, it says that there were three gifts, but it never says anything about the number of magi that came. And then the third one was money is the root of all evil, which was close but 1 Timothy 6.10 actually says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. So it's a little different. And then the last one, I've actually heard this one a lot, is God will not give you more than you can handle. But if you read scripture, we see countless cases where people face things that they, they couldn't handle. But God did, and he, and he took care of them. And that's the point, it says, including Paul's words to the Corinthians where he tells them, that God will provide a way of escape from temptation. If we can handle everything that came our way, 
we could take care of our sin problem, but we couldn't and we can't. And that's why we needed and continually need Jesus. So here are the Pharisees, 80 miles. They asked Jesus, why are your disciples not washing their hands? And then the thing that baffles me is, you know, they say your, your disciples broke the law. They didn't say they broke the law of Scripture. They said they broke the law of the tradition of the elders. So uh, I can't overstate this, that Jesus did not like the Pharisees, right? He just did not like them. And if you guys, uh, you, not if, when, in a couple weeks, y'all will be in, uh, as you continue to walk through Matthew, you'll be in Matthew 23. He really tells how he feels, right? Matthew 23, Jesus really tells how he feels about the disciples, or excuse me, the Pharisees, but he didn't like them because they spent their whole lives studying Scripture, and they missed the heart of God in the Scripture. And I think that's the problem a lot of times with the American church today is, is we get caught up and we get in uncomfortable situations with non-believers, and we use part of Scripture to try to argue our case or try to back out of the situation instead of leaning into Scripture and really loving these people like God loves us. So here's where they got this tradition of the elders. Um, this comes from back, I got this out of uh, Warren Wiersbe's Bible commentary, and back in the day, way, way back in the day, right, Moses wrote down the Scripture. Well, there was also this oral law, and this oral law was passed down, obviously, from mouth to mouth, but then it finally got written down, and when it was written down, they called it the Mishnah. And so the Pharisees, somehow, it, it was not Holy Scripture, but somehow the Pharisees take this Mishnah, and they put it and decide it had more authority than the actual Scripture. So that's what they're talking about here. So they're going off something that's, that's unbiblical, basically, and ultimately... As we're going to see, this, this doesn't have anything to do with washing hands. It had everything to do with Jesus and his disciples hanging out with people, the outcasts, the poor, that honestly, the Pharisees were too good to be around. They didn't want any part of. And so this just becomes their argument. So let's look at how Jesus responds. Verse 3, Jesus replied, And why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares what he might have been used to help their father and mother is devoted to God, they are not to honor their father and mother with it. Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teaching are merely human rules. So the Pharisees came, they called out Jesus for making, for, for him and his disciples not following their made-up religion, and then Jesus turns the table on them, and he says, why are you not actually following God's tradition? Why are you not following God's word? And so this specific situation, what they're talking about is, um, it was called a korban. And so a korban was a gift that, in Hebrew, it means the gift. And if a Jew wanted to escape some kind of financial hardship, right, they had the money that they wanted to use for whatever they wanted, and then they were supposed to be, say, helping out their parents, right, taking care of their parents. They could take a little bit of money, they could give it to, the, to God as a gift, the Corbin, and by taking that, that money and using it as a Corbin, they didn't have to do any of their financial responsibilities anymore, right? So basically, what they were doing was they were taking the money that was supposed to be used to help their parents, and they were saying, uh, I'm a little short this month, so forget the parents, and now I'm good, because I gave a little bit to God. 
And so in that, though, the person was losing the power of God's word in their life, and then they would hurt their character, missing out on God's, God's blessing. So one thing I got from this is God's design in the law was ultimately to help people, right? It wasn't to hurt people. And so God's not going to call us to neglect the poor and the needy so that we can live comfortably. That's never going to happen. And in the study Bible I was reading, it said, anyone who broke a vow, a human law, in order to help the needy parents, which was God's law, would have committed a serious transgression according to the Pharisees. So not helping the needy was a serious transgression in the eyes of the Pharisees. And I think that's one of their biggest blind spots. They weren't willing to help the poor and the needy if it interfered with them being comfortable, right? They wanted to be comfortable. They wanted to stay as far away from anything uncomfortable as they possibly could. And that comes to a point two, which is this. The disciples got dirty and didn't wash their hands, and they got caught out by the Pharisees. The Pharisees lived their whole lives trying not to touch anyone or anything dirty, and they got caught out by Jesus. So think about your own life. You got clean hands or you got a clean heart, right? Because ultimately, God's looking for the second thing. It's not about having physically clean hands. So we looked at the Pharisees questioning Jesus. Then we looked at Jesus' response, which we can definitely learn from because in some ways we're all Pharisees, right? But then now we're going to look at what was important to Jesus. It's not what was important to the Pharisees or the man-made law, but, it, but it's God's law. So this is, so far his, his response was directed straight at the Pharisees. And now he's going to turn, starting in verse 10, and he starts talking to his disciples. This is what he says. Verse 10, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen and understand, what goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth, that's what defiles them. Then the disciples came to him and asked, Do you know the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? He replied, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. Leave them, they are blind guides. If the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. Peter said, explain the parable to us. Are you still so dull, Jesus asked him? Don't you see that whenever, whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person. But eating with unwashed hands does not defile him. Verse 14. Leave them there, blind guides. If the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. So my mother-in-law went on a mission trip back in June to South Africa. And one afternoon they got to go on a safari, right? So she's on the safari. She gets back. She sends, shows us pictures of the safari. She's telling us about this guide, how he knew exactly where to take the bus, where not to take the bus. He knew how to point out things that they should be looking for. Um, he gave them a warning, like what to do. If, you know, if, if something happens, something charges at us, this is what we're going to do. Great guide, right? We grew up in uh, North Carolina when my wife and I were in college. We went up to uh, the Nantahala River. We went down uh, on a raft, down to the river. Right? I don't know if you've ever done that. A lot of fun if you have a good guide. Right? Our guide knew exactly where to go, knew exactly how to keep us out of danger, kept us on the boat. Right? I don't know if you've ever been downtown and been on a carriage ride. It'd be scary to go on a carriage ride downtown Charleston without a guide. Right? The horse just going wherever he wants to go. Not good. Or maybe you've been on a safari like my mother went on. No matter which it is, 
you would never want someone blind being your guide in that situation, right? And I think a lot of times there's verses in Scripture that appear so simple that we kind of skip the depth of what Jesus or God's trying to tell us in those situations. And I think this is one of those verses. They are blind guides. If the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. It's like, yeah, duh, everybody knows that. You don't want to be blind, can't follow the blind. But you would never get in an Uber if you sat down in an Uber and your driver was like, hey, uh, by the way, I'm blind, so buckle up and hold on tight, right? You'd be out quick. You wouldn't even think twice about it. But spiritually, what's guiding your life? What's guiding your life spiritually? Is it self-help books that have no biblical basis? Is it religion like the Pharisees were looking at that, that sounds good, but it's really not godly at all? It's not biblical. Is it social media? Is it a specific pastor? Or is it the Word of God? Because as Christians, it's easy to give the right answer and to say, yeah, it's, the Holy Spirit guides me and God's Word guides me. That's the easy answer. But if we spend more time reading other books, if we spend more time, you know, scrolling through social media, then we really do praying and studying God's Scripture. What's our guide? Verse 16 through 20. Are you still so dull? Jesus asked them. Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. Out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person, but eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. As I was looking at this scripture, the, the top heading above uh, chapter 15, it said true defilement. True defilement. So are we failing in the eyes of men or are we failing in the eyes of God? So I was looking at in a... <clears throat> In, in my uh, commentary, sorry about that. So this is what it said. It said, tradition is something external, while God's truth is internal in heart. People obey tradition to please men and gain status, but we obey the word to please God. Tradition deals with ritual, while God's truth deals with reality. Tradition brings an empty word to the lips, but truth penetrates the heart and changes the life. Actually, tradition robs a person of the power of God. So if we live our lives trying not to fail men and women, whether that's your boss, whether that's your spouse, your parent, whoever, we're going to fail them eventually, right? And when we fail them, we can apologize. You know, we can try to make things right with, with whoever. But ultimately, how they think is up to them. It's not up to us. So we're going to spend our whole lives trying to change someone's mind that, that we might never change their mind. Or we can, we can fail Christ. And if we're truly seeking God in everything that we do, and we're truly, truly seeking to please Him, we have forgiveness when we fail. And Colossians 2, 13 and 14, it says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your faith, God made alive together with Him having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with the legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. So how do we not become defiled by the world? One word, time. Time. If we let the things of the world steal our time, we're going to be defiled, period. If we get 
confused about our faith. Sometimes we get confused like the Pharisees were about certain things from God. If we don't go straight to the source, we're going to listen like the Pharisees did and be as confused and as off as they are. So there's a simple way to check ourselves. It's not easy, but it's simple. And it comes from Proverbs 4.20. is guard your hearts. Guard your hearts. My son, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ear to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and help to the one's whole body. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Keep your mouth free from perversity. Keep corrupt talk from your lips. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Give careful thought to the paths of your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. Do not turn to the right or the left. Keep your foot from evil. So uh, next week, I'm going to be speaking to the football coaches at CSU. And one thing, kind of the, the, the point that um, I'm going to be talking with those guys is about is what are you doing while you wait on God? Or how, how, do you, how well are you at waiting on God? And whether it's waiting on God or whether it's asking questions about our faith or being questioned about our faith, the answer to those is being in the presence of God, is being in Christ's presence. And so actually opening up the Bible and, and seeking Scripture, seeking Christ's Scripture for ourselves, not seeking the tradition of the elders like the Pharisees did, not, not seeking even the tradition of our culture that's going to also lead us astray. The elders and the culture lead to defilement, right? Christ leads to holiness. And as believers, ultimately, we're seeking to hear the words, well done, thy good and faithful servant. But we want to hear it from Jesus. How many times in our lives do we live in a way that we're trying to hear that from men, right? Well done, thy good and faithful servant from another man or woman. It's not worth it. So I close with this. Check your heart. We're going to pray in a minute. I don't want you to be proud for how many times you washed your hands today. Okay? I want you to practically think about just the last few hours of this day. What's come out of your mouth the last few hours of this day? Did it defile you or did it show that you're walking in the Holy Spirit? So point, my last point is this. God wants our hearts, not our words. I love sports. I love Team USA, everything. Olympics, World Cup, FIFA basketball, I love, I love it all, right? Um, and so, if you've been watching the Women's World Cup, you know, they got beat early. And um, I told my wife before the Women's World Cup, I was like, I'm nervous. And I said, I'm nervous for one reason. I do not have any inside information. I don't bet on sports, right? I, it wasn't because they were kind of getting older. Some of the stars were getting older. It wasn't because they hadn't been playing well. I was nervous for one reason. And the one reason was that commercial that came on Fox talking about, I don't know if you've seen it, but it was the whole world against the USA, right? And the punchline was, what's it going to take to beat this year's U.S. women's soccer team? So they go through, they talk about this thing, and at the very end of the commercial, one of the U.S. soccer players, she turns to the camera, and very arrogantly she says, good luck with that. And I told my wife when I saw that, I'm like, oh no, I've been around sports too much, I know what's going to happen, and it's not going to be good, right? So I grew up a Carolina Panthers fan, Super Bowl 50. Carolina Panthers versus Denver Broncos. I know we got at least one Denver Broncos fan in the house. Cam Newton, MVP, playing out of his mind. Before the Super Bowl starts, I turn on the coverage, and I see Cam Newton on the field, 
And I was thinking to myself, this guy is way too comfortable right now. And as we talked about earlier, also Von Miller happened. But besides Von Miller, coverage starts. They went through every single broadcaster. Every single broadcaster says, the Carolina Panthers are going to win the Super Bowl. The Carolina Panthers are going to win the Super Bowl. The Carolina, the whole, everything, everything was Carolina Panthers. And then what happens at the end, even if you didn't see it, the Carolina Panthers lost the Super Bowl, right? Pride comes before the fall, and it happens all the time in sports, all the time. But in that, it also happens in our faith. And so we got to stay on it in our faith as well. Whatever food we eat eventually goes in our stomach, and it leaves our body, right? Some people might say that chocolate touches the heart, but even chocolate doesn't touch the heart, right? Jesus reminds us, and he reminds the disciples, it's not what you eat, right? It's what comes out of our mouths. It's what comes out of our heart that defiles us. So guard your heart by any means necessary. When Rob gets back, please don't tell him that the tall, skinny guy said we didn't have to wash our hands, all right? That's not what I'm saying here. But here's what I want you to do. As you wash your hands, I want you to take that time and, and think about your heart, right? Think about where your heart is and where what God, what God sees as defilement and what men see as defilement. And the only way we can do that is staying in Scripture, staying in the Word, staying, staying grounded in our faith. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your Word. Thank you for who you are. Uh, thank you for, for sometimes making things so simple and so clear um, that we try to kind of make it fuzzy, God. But I pray that we can just see the clarity in your word, um, the clarity in your scripture, and know that ultimately scripture is for our benefit. And um, help us to see it, to be able just to use your word to ultimately be more like you and to love people like Jesus loved us. Thank you for your love. As he sings in Christ's name, amen.